Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be found pleasing in your sight this evening. For you, O God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Illness, decline, death, promise of new life. It's all wrapped up in this one story, complete with crisp and lofty language and an elegant bow of glittery mystery. Just one pull of that bow and peel of the wrapping, and behold, resurrection. But for those who are, of us who have experienced and witnessed illness and decline and the end of life, or the end of life as it once was, the closing of a chapter loved dearly, whatever it may be, we know that endings are never pretty. They are always messy and complicated and heartbreaking and sometimes just downright unfair, are they not? It's easy for us to experience this story from the shoes of Martha as she runs out to greet Jesus. Where have you been? If only you had been there. Or from the chair of, that Mary has been glued to for four days since Lazarus breathes his last, unable to attend to anything but her broken heart. It's easy for us to feel bewildered and maybe a little frustrated at Jesus' response to Martha's distress, waiting a whole two days after receiving the message of Lazarus's impending death, replying to Mary, Martha's question with words of theological revelation rather than comfort and care. But as readers, we know what Jesus is up to. Even if we have not heard this story before, we can piece together the hints he's dropped to his disciples and to Martha that Lazarus will be given the breath of life once again. So why hasn't resurrection occurred yet? Jesus is here. The promise has been spoken. And yet, we are still in the space between death and life, between the end of what once was and what will be to come, still waiting on the breath of new life. In this fast pace, on to the next thing, world we live in, we desire to experience we desire and expect the next thing, the promise of something new to come immediately. At graduation, the world expects college students to have a job already all lined up, even though studies show that one-third of those students are still wrestling with what it is they even want to do with their lives. When you are 
let go from a job that you love. The mortgage company and AT&T and GRU and an empty fridge tell you that you need to have a source of income immediately. When you sign on a line, ending a relationship that you thought would last forever, well-meaning friends say to you, there are plenty of fish, even though you still feel lost in the middle of an ocean. In the days after the preacher says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. When all the meals from caring friends and church family have stopped and you're left in the silence of a once vibrant home glued to the chair of grief. The world we live and move and breathe in is slow to pause and quick to move on because the place between what was and what will be is uncomfortable and lonely and frightening and sad. And we don't like it, let alone have the capacity for the emotions that reside and creep up in that place between. So we expect Jesus to immediately throw back the stone of Lazarus' tomb and breathe the breath of new life into him once again. But instead, Jesus weeps. Jesus weeps. And we are left wondering, why? Why did Jesus fall to his knees and succumb to the deep sobs of grief if he knew exactly what would come next? If he knew that life was going to follow death? I am the resurrection and the life. I spoke these words, standing in my grandpa's favorite spot, looking out on Little Lake Harris, down in Tavares, Florida, from his big blue recliner, the spot where he drew his last breath. But when I said those, these words full of promise, that chair had been moved all the way to the side to make room for the small family gathering. He didn't want a big shebang. He didn't want a pastor in robes. He wanted me, his granddaughter, to lead his final goodbye. I am the resurrection and the life Words I know by heart, words I believe in my head, the promise that in Christ, death never has the final word, the promise that by the power of Christ's resurrection, my grandpa has new life, new breath on the other side of eternity. I know those truths in my head, but when I spoke those words from that very spot before my family, my heart could not quite catch up. My heart was not ready to move beyond grief, beyond sadness, 
and to the promise that I knew was waiting on the other side of that grief. The promise of memories. I wonder if that is why Jesus took the moment to pause and to feel the gravity of grief before approaching Lazarus's tomb. To acknowledge the suffering that had occurred and to honor the life that had ended. To just take one moment to pause, to feel to grasp hold of the promise that he already knew and inhabited and embodied? What if it was in the gasp of the breath between the sobs that Jesus was readying his heart to fulfill that promise? As we are anxiously awaiting the moment of resurrection, confused and frustrated that hope has not yet come, Christ is not only showing us what taking time to grieve looks like, he is incorporating it into the story of resurrection. Christ is not only experiencing his own grief, but he is sanctifying it calling it holy and good and a necessary step toward claiming the promise, the full promise of resurrection life. I wish I could tell you that a few moments after my grandpa's service, I was able to claim hold of that promise in its fullness once more. I wish I can tell you that for me, there isn't part of me that isn't still grieving and will always grieve the man that was my life. The man who spurred me on to stand right where I am. But that's grief. It's continual. It's moments to pause and to feel and to be open and allow tears to fall because they are holy too. Because each and every time we gasp for breath between sobs or exhale sighs too deep for words, the divine breath The Holy Spirit, the advocate, transforms those exhales into something that resembles prayer. Then, that same Spirit breathes a breath of life back into us, a breath of comfort, a breath of healing. We exhale the grief, and inhale life. Exhale grief, inhale life. Over and over again until our hearts are ready to hold fast 
to the promise of resurrection once again. As we close, I invite you to hear these words from my favorite poet, Jan Richardson, where the breath begins. Dry and dry and dry in each direction. Dust dry, desert dry, bone dry. And here in your own heart, dry. The center of your chest, a bare valley stretching out every way you turn. Did you think this was where you had come to die? It's true that you may need to do some crumbling, yes. That some things you have protected may want to be laid bare, yes. That you will be asked to let go and let go, yes. But listen, this is what a desert is for. If you have come here desolate, if you have come here deflated, then thank your lucky stars the desert is where you've landed. Here, where it is hard to hide, here where it is unwise to rely on your own devices, here where you will have to look and look and look close to find what refreshment awaits you to reveal itself to you. I tell you, though it may be hard to see now, this is where your greatest blessing will find you. I tell you, this is where you will receive your life again. I tell you, this is where the breath begins. Amen.